0: all right well today if all goes well well whether all goes well or not we're going to finish up so uh, even if things don't go well, we're still going to finish up. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So, let's. Uh, so, you know, last week we kind of, we kind of uh, went from Daniel into Revelation and connected them. And today we're going to finish in a couple of sections in Revelation. So, if you would turn to Revelation 4, if you, if you have your Bibles. time I went up to somebody that was I forget if I was leading a Bible study or something I don't know it was not this church somewhere else and I said uh, if you have your Bibles you know well one of them didn't have their Bible I said you don't have your Bible and I said Oh, here you know, like that <laughs> okay, anyway um Revelation chapter 4 starting with verse 1 um now, up till now, we've had the letters, right, to the, to the seven churches. And uh, God has, has dictated the letters to the seven churches. And uh, John has written them, of course. So starting in verse 4, uh, the, issue, the letters to the seven churches are, are finished. And John says, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven and the first voice which i heard was like a trumpet speaking with me saying come up here i will show you things which must take place after this um so you can imagine what that would be like you know to see a door open in in heaven Uh, and and i assume you know heaven is sometimes referred to as the heavenly is the sky you know in the bible and so he sees a door open up there. Obviously, it's above him since the next thing said is to come up here. And so um, he sees a door open in the sky, in the heavens. And uh, I think this is important. It's, it's short of a small, as, as tiny of a small statement as this is. Uh, first of all, as you know, Revelation's packed with some of the smallest statements can be the most deep theological statements. Well, it's no small matter that God would open a door between he and his people, a door in heaven. Uh, That's no small matter because uh, for a number of reasons, you know, suddenly in this very moment, there's a uh, removal of a separation between God and man. And that removal of separation is, in a sense... A door to revelation, a door to God revealing Himself to John, uh, and and a door is you know is an important aspect in Scripture because uh, somebody somebody turn over to John ten seven and nine and, and read that if you would Walt you got that John ten seven and nine. Sorry, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. I'm sorry again. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Um, all who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. There you go. So, you know, uh, to open a door into heaven to John, who receives this vision, is to harken back to the very words of Jesus, who which which he penned in the book of John, uh, you know, no doubt to see a door in heaven and mention it would have, you know, would have reminded him of the very words of Christ. You know, I am the door, and so forth. So Jesus having come then, is he's the door to the sheep. He's the door that allows us to make it to God. And here is the door in heaven opening. And it's because of Christ. It's Christ's doing, you see, that does it. Uh, The other one that I'll quickly allude to. So you have this theme of separation being eliminated by the opening of a door. Uh, And you have uh, Genesis 3.24. So he cast out Adam and made him dwell opposite the garden of pleasure and station the cherubim and the fiery sword, which turns every way, to guard the way to the tree of life. So, so God has, you know, previously made sure that that entry was blocked to the tree of life. But we all agree the tree of life is Christ. You know, he's, he's the tree of life is is it's you know it represents Christ. So, so that that uh you know that way has been blocked. By the very angel of God with a sword. And now God is opening a door into the heavenlies. Uh, and it's standing open, according to what John says, in the heavens. You know, if you go to your house and you see your front door just standing open, well, you know, that's, not, that's sometimes not a good thing, right? I mean, you know, somebody's going to get in. Uh, that's an invitation to let anybody and everybody into your house, you know. So, but, well, the door's standing open in this case, and according to the, the, the verse here says in the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet come up here i'll show you what must take place after this and i can imagine john thinking well how am i going to get up there you know but then then in verse 2 it says he's in the he's it wants in the spirit and so you know that i think that's indication that yeah he gets that he, he goes to that place uh and behold a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne Okay. sorry can't get away from these things um, so a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne and he had and he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper on carnelian and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald so uh, you have these precious stones that uh, that God is described like and uh, it's interesting that I, I was asking Connor what he thought earlier about the rainbow the uh, the rainbow uh, is uh, was you know the, the first covenant, the covenant God made with Noah right, so really and truly the Abrahamic covenant was one covenant but then before that was the Noah covenant in Genesis and so Correct me if I'm wrong, if anybody has a different interpretation of this, but I, you know, I kind of see this as you know, God is fulfilling the Abrahamic covenant. But in a sense, he's really fulfilling all covenants. He's fulfilling all his covenants. He's, he's, he's the fulfillment of it all, not just, not just, not just the covenant with the Jews. He's, the, he's fulfilling the covenant with the entire human race, which is what the flood affected, you see. So, uh, and the covenant he made with Noah was, in a sense, a covenant with the entire human race, because you know the human race was to grow from that point on, and populate. So, any thoughts on that? Does anybody anybody see any other possibilities of, want, of 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 connections with the rainbows and scriptures? I mean, am I stretching things? <laughs> I, I don't think it's a stretch.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, when the Christ fulfilled the covenant of the law, right.
0: Right, right. And uh, the rainbow is God's sign of grace. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, yeah, right. Surprise. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it's that moment in Genesis where you see the rainbow is kind of a huge moment in Scripture, and you never really see it again until the very end here. You see, you see the rainbow with you know. Christ, you see that rainbow in the, in the glorified Christ, you know, surrounding the glorified Christ, so um, it's, it's just interesting to me that this would be the culmination of that you know, of that rainbow previously so um, so as some of you know, I, I'm a little bit of a rock hound, uh, and so I brought a piece of carnelian to pass it around I've done this before, but Jesus uh, uh, he uh, he's described as a carnelian as as looking like a carnelian and so a carnelian is a uh orangish bright uh rock if you put a yeah connor's about yeah. to do it yeah 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 so it's it's a very trans it's a translucent rock it looks like fire when you like put a light under it uh and so uh it's just a cool rock so <laughs> But there's another angle to it that I'm going to bring up that you've probably not thought about. And that's that carnelian is a particular kind of rock. And by the way, the, 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 the King James Version calls this a sardius, but it's still a carnelian. Uh, it's just, that's just the old term that they used for that rock. But it's a carnelian. And uh, so uh, carnelians throughout human history uh, were often carved. They, they carved pretty easily. Uh, Not as easily as soapstone, but they do carve. You can carve them. And uh, and so people would carve, use them as signet stones. Uh, They would carve an image on them and so forth. Uh, So I find it very fascinating that God used a a rock here to describe himself that very much uh, is used to be an image of something. Uh, For he is the image of the invisible God. He's, uh, he's the, uh, you know, as we've talked about, he's the image of God. The Son of God is his image. And so uh, it, it's a very fitting stone for that reason, too, to have to look like, to, for him to look like a carnelian in that sense. Because we know that if you've seen Christ, you've seen the Father. He's the image of God, so. Well, there's, there's a connection to light here, too, because the mm-hmm. rainbow appears because light is shining through. Yeah, the vapor. right. Right. Uh, you not know, have flashlights. True. Like, uh, yeah. 3, they could stick it up in the sun though, but yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah it would, uh, I'm not sure how it, does it work? I don't know. I haven't tried yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, have, you yeah. gone blind trying. Yeah. To, uh, <laughs> but still, I mean it's something that that light produces mm-hmm. through these things. Right. That's true. and Jesus his yeah. light. Yeah, exactly. Is, uh, Absolutely, that's a good point. Any other thoughts? Okay. Um, So uh, verse 5, he says from there, or excuse me, let me read verse 4. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders. We read about this a little bit in Daniel, I think, or maybe it was Ezekiel. It was one of them. Uh, Clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumbles and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. So that's the, that's the, you know, the traditional scene of the throne room of God that you may have heard preached about. You know, sometimes you have preachers preach about what it looks like and so forth. The sea of glass, you know, and and it all in Christ on the throne. But you have 24 thrones and these elders are clothed in white garments. And so elders are mentioned in Scripture a number of times. Uh, The earliest that I can think of would be when God tells Moses to appoint elders to go uh, and help him subtle disputes uh, when they're in the wandering around in the wilderness and you see elders in that case and in a sense the judges of the uh, old testament during the era of judges were elders you know in a sense you could call them an elder so uh, the idea of elders there in the biblical sense uh, is it's certainly it's certainly a thing you know so these elders Um, these 24 elders clothed in white garments with gold crowns on their heads. And and so the idea of an elder, he's an, he's an elder, he's a, he's a, an an elderly person. And of course in scripture in, in the, you know, we don't, we don't value the elderly in our culture, but way we should, but, but you know, in this culture they did, you know, an elderly person was full of wisdom and they were sought after and they were revered because of that you know they were wise well if you have the wisest people in the world bowing down before God and and pointing to him making him their you know raising him up in worship that's that much more you know that that tells us something about God you see, it tells us that the very elders would ultimately point to Christ is a is a beautiful thing um then it says in verse 6 And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature, like a, a lion. The second, like an ox. The third, with the face of a man. The fourth living creature, like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, <clears throat> each of them with six wings, full of eyes, all around and within, the day and night, that never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. So we've talked about these creatures already uh, at least once because uh, we saw them in a previous vision. But uh, you know they're pretty much the same thing. They're described the same way in terms of the faces, the four faces, and everything. But you know the uh, these these beings. Having the faces of a lion, and the ox, and the in the face of a man and the eagle, uh, this represents the gospels, as we talked about. You know, the uh, the gospels in the uh, in the New Testament traditionally came to take on these symbols as sort of their, I don't know, their symbol whatever you want to call it. But you know, there's also aspects of this in the created order that I think matter um you have you have the the idea of the lion uh who is saying Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who is you know the lion, the king of the jungle the you know the, everyone fears a lion you don 't want to be alone with a lion in the jungle without a gun right so a lion is is a is you know considered a very terrifying creature, and yes he 's the symbol of Babylon as we know so um and we have Babylon today it's just in the form of secular culture but uh, so in, in a sense this is Babylon uh, but Babylon is not Babylon in the bad sense Babylon here is bowing down to Christ and the lion is bowing down to Christ so the, the most feared animal in probably the world perhaps a lion is, is paying homage and worshipping Christ and then you have, the, uh, you have the ox, and an ox is, is known for, uh, as a work animal, a beast of burden, an animal that pulls things or, you know, put things on its back and so forth, even in their time. And yet, this animal, which is a trudging kind of animal, an animal that just trudges and works, uh, you, have, you have that idea, too, as subordinate to the authority of Christ, so you have the, you have the the power in nature. You have that part of nature which is which trudges and which you know does hard work. That gets that is is subservient to Christ. And then of course you have man, the face of a man. Uh, we're all humans, so we know what that means. Subservient to Christ as well. And then you have the eagle. Which is, of course, an animal that's all that you know can see from above has the, probably the best eyesight in the animal kingdom, uh, and you know they say you can spot a creature from a long, long ways, you know, and dive down to get it. So, an animal was above. They were they were for the, for the people in scripture. An animal was living in this in this realm above humans, you know, in the sky. Uh, uh, an eagle i mean it was living in this area above humans in the sky and with extraordinary abilities it could fly around up there and so and yet this powerful raptor ultimately tells you know is holy 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 is the lord god almighty so these angels look like this they take on these these characteristics the four faces and um and yet, in all these faces, all these four faces they, they have, all of it, all of it does nothing but declaring the Lord God holy, who was and who is and is to come. And that's that's what they're there for. That's what they do. Any other thoughts on that? Want to move on. Okay. Y'all are quiet today. I think part of that's because David's not here. <laughs> there, there is something about um, yeah. Uh, there, there is. Uh, I like what you mentioned about Babylon mm-hmm. and how, in sort of a <coughs> vision, even Babylon is caught up in the worship. Right. Because the cherub imagery is all over Babylonian. Oh, for like sure. Picture, yeah. All of that. And mm-hmm. the cherub is not unique to right. Israel-like right. Israelite
1: culture. Right. I mean, the
0: Persians yeah. had cherubs. The Egyptians had their sphinxes, which are basically the same thing. Yeah. And, um, Good point. These like. Chimeric creatures all over the ancient world. Right. So for them to all be bowing down to God. Yeah. all of the nations. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Great point. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's interesting to me that, that other cultures other than the Hebrew culture at that, in that period of time had some sense of visualizing these creatures had some sense of visualizing heavenly beings, Mm -hmm. um, they didn't know what to do with them. They, they didn't understand that they, they're subservient to Almighty God. But, you know, like you said, they created them. And, of course, uh, this has been mentioned in here before, but, um, you know, the modern day of a cherub is not correct. It's not a little baby with wings, you know, that you stick on your mantle to look pretty. Uh, that's, that's, that's okay if you like that kind of thing. I'm not knocking that. But I'm just saying that a cherub is a terrifying being. And, and this is a cherub, and it's it's pretty hard. Pretty, If you saw one, you probably it would probably scare you, I think. You know, it would mean what I saw. I wonder if, if here's a question for him. You know, they, as you mentioned, these represent the high and low, yeah. the lion and the ox. Right. And the man and the eagle, mm-hmm. and an eagle was an unclean animal. That's true. And yeah. Question is: Have you read anything about like the man being Jews, the eagles being Gentiles? I have not, but I like that. It'd be something worth pursuing. Yeah, I have not read that. It would definitely be a good, a good thing to think on, look to look into. <clears throat> so they all say, "Holy, holy, holy," is the Lord God Almighty. Verse nine, and when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever those 24 elders fall down before him and who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and they cast their crowns before the throne saying worthy are you O Lord our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created so I think you definitely have this this idea going on here of of the things God created uh, and these elders here are basically acknowledging what we just said, that all creation, all things created from the Eagle, from the lion to the man, to the ox, all these things and everything else, these elders proclaim, uh, you created all things and by your will, they existed and were created only by your will. And that's an acknowledgement of that in heaven, that universal truth that, uh, God made all those things. And so, as Connor pointed out, you know, the Lion of Babylon, which had been around long before the book of Revelation was written, uh, you know, the Lion of Babylon is, uh, is subservient to God. And it rises and falls based on what God, what God wants to happen. You know, so as a symbol of that nation, as a symbol of that culture so you've got God on the throne there is uh, this uh, you've got the rainbow you've got the the look of gemstones the carnelian and the uh, uh, what was the other, jasper jasper by the way can come in a number of colors it could have been red jasper, it could have been green jasper jasper basically is a type of agate it's just a hard, non translucent rock Uh, so you have uh, jasper and carnelian and um, that he's described as looking like in this case, and then you have the crystal sea that spans before him. And we saw that earlier, and we saw a picture of that even when when Yahweh appears in the Book of Exodus. We talked about that a few weeks ago. I don't remember that. So okay. Um. All right. So let me let me point out one more thing about Revelation four. And five. Uh, let me see if I need to read anything in Revelation, else in Revelation four. Well, let me let me just read a little bit more. So, um, in verse five, and from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. The sea of glass. We talked about that. Um, let's see. Okay, in, in chapter five. Uh, we get into another scenario. And so John sees in the him who sits on the throne, he sees something in his right hand. He sees a scroll. And it's written on the outside and in, uh, inside it and on the back. So it's a full scroll. Can't add any more to it. Full scroll. And, um, and it's sealed with seven seals. And an angel says, who is worthy to open the scroll and lucid seals no one in heaven and earth in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it uh, so God demands this scroll be opened and there's not, nary a single person that's worthy to open this scroll uh, before I get into the, the deal about the scroll uh, let's talk about Revelation 4 and 5 real fast because another way that you can look at this is also a worship template um, in In this heavenly worship service, you have um, you have the in a sense you have a, the gathering of the worshipers before God. you have a gathering there, and they 're prepared for gathering they 're rightfully gathered they're not they're, they're, they're prepared in the sense that their heart is right to worship God and second of all. You have God's presence, but you also have you have people and angels speaking worship about God, and also singing worship about God. Because if you look over in cha- in the same chapter five and look in verse nine, it says they sing a new song and they sing a song. So you have speaking uh, truths about God, and you have singing about God, and you have the scroll and you have the one on the throne and the one who's also going to be worthy to open the scroll here in a few minutes you have these things as the word of god in a sense so you have all these elements um and this is a great template for a worship service because it's good to have the spoken word we call that liturgy here at christ community church if you're in the baptist church that i grew up they call them responsive readings but you know it's 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 liturgy it's it's reading or, or it's reading the word reading of the word of god publicly might become in that might come in that form too uh, it's also singing singing praises to god and god likes a new song they sing a new song here and there's psalms that a psalm that tells and i couldn't tell you which song it is, psalm it is right off my head but it talks about singing a new song to the lord so you know you don't need to get stuck in a rut you know when it comes to worship uh, new songs are a good thing. They challenge the people, uh, and uh, you know they they bring freshness to our worship service and so forth. Um, uh, yeah. I think it's chapter twenty or maybe it's twenty one. Uh, Christ says, "I make all things new." Yes, uh huh. So it's right with the songs. He likes good. newness. Yeah, exactly. Newness is a good thing in God's eyes. That's there's, right. There's also some some oldness also. Yes, some, almost something like the creed. Yeah, that's right, Uh uh-huh, yeah. It's like they're saying a creed, that's right, yeah, I agree, 100%. So all these elements of worship, this is where it originates from. Uh, You know, if you want to know how, okay, well, I could could just speak about Christ Community Church and say that, you know, we, we try to do these elements, and we do, but on the other hand, these elements are in worship, you know, were in worship in the Christian Church from early on as well, and you also have elements of this in in the synagogue, you know even in jesus 's time, which in many ways the church service is a little bit like a synagogue service in a way because the the apostles that was all they knew was the synagogue service, and they sort of carried that on you know in their worship of christ too so um, so uh and in fact, when I say that, let me expound on that a little bit here, because I'm going to remind you of an incident where that you're going to remember when I start telling you about it. So Jesus uh, comes into the synagogue one day in the Gospels, and he's traveling, and he goes into the synagogue as was his custom, according <laughs> to the scriptures. And what happens? Somebody hands him a what? A scroll, right? And so they hand him a scroll, and he reads the scroll. Well, what happens here? Um, the, the, voice, the loud voice from a strong angel proclaims, who's worthy to open the scroll? No one was able to. And in verse 4, we see John weeping because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll. But then one of those elders says, do not weep. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of Jesse, has prevailed to open the scroll. And loose the seven seals. And I looked and behold in the midst of the throne. And the four living creatures in the midst of the elders. Stood a lamb. As though it had been slain. Having seven horns and seven eyes. Which are the seven spirits of God sent out into the earth. And he came. And took the scroll out of the right hand of God. Who sat on the throne. And then. uh, So I'll stop there for a minute. So that's Christ. Obviously he's a lamb. He's the victorious lamb of God. So. Here again, we see this scene in, in the worship service, the assembly of those. This is the, the heavenly church service. We see Christ taking the scroll and reading the scroll, just like he did in that gospel scene that we read when he read from Isaiah. So <clears throat> clearly this is Christ, and, uh, and clearly Christ is the only one who's worthy to take the scroll and open it, no one else can do it, but he can. He's worthy to do it. Any thoughts on that before I go on? Anybody? I know that's not a new teaching. Some of you've heard it before, but still, it's. I love the connection. So, you assume that this is Daniel's scroll? I think so. Yeah, I think it's the same. Thing. Yeah, because because uh, we that connection was there too. You know, as I remember correctly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Verse, and two verses in Ezekiel it, uh, it, mm-hmm. uh, it talks about it was written within and without. It talks about it's written. That's right. Lamentations of mourning and woe. Yeah. And yeah. Ezekiel 2, 9 to 10. But written within and without. Yeah, on both sides. Yet, yeah. So yeah, uh-huh. yeah I, don't, I don't think that's typical of a spoiler. It's not. Yeah. yeah yeah I don't think so either so it would mean if you roll it up you can still see writing on the outside of you know? it. Right. there's almost a hint in the, this verse uh, chapter 5 also uh, Eucharist, where he says I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain and then verse yes. 12 worthy is the lamb who was slain mm-hmm. I to that's right yeah I, you know, I make a whole case that well I think a there's something anyway, to that yeah, yeah yeah I agree yeah so um, so the 24 elders, um, and let's see, where, hold on, I don't want to lose my place here. Okay, so they sing a new song um, when the Lamb shows up and takes the scroll. The elders fall down, and they have instruments here. They have a harp, each having a harp and golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sing a new song saying... You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and have redeemed us to God by your blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. So, you know, I don't want to. I used to. I I don't want to make too big of a deal out of this, okay? But I used to go to uh, when I was uh, in school. I knew several people who were in the Church of Christ, you know, and and they were anti-musical instrument worship. You know, they they don't believe you should have piano or. Anything, you know, that you're just sing. well, what, what do you say? I mean, there's harps here, you know, in heavenly worship before God, God almighty. So, uh, it's here. And, uh, so I don't think that really holds up very well biblically, but, um, so they sing a new song and they're playing on their harps. Uh, you're worthy to take the scroll. They're declaring this about Christ to open its seals. For you were slain, as Walt just pointed out, and redeemed us to God by your blood. Um, did you already say why there was twenty-four instead of twelve? I did not say, and the reason I didn't say is because I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I was just wondering if uh, that that's a really good question. I was yeah. wondering if that meant twelve to represent the faithful before. It might, yeah. So twelve, yes. Is that what it is? That's what I think. Okay. I, I think it's the 12 Old Testament prophets, whoever they are. Yeah. The 12 apostles. Apostles, yeah, oh, yeah. I've also heard 12 apostles and 12 tribes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Those make sense to me. Yeah, yeah. Very, very you got good. That's yeah. sorted the church. That's right. <laughs> So uh, they sing that song, verse 10, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Uh, and then, and the next thing you know, he looks around in verse 11, and the voice of many angels, the living creatures, the elders, the number of 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, innumerable, basically, you know, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb. So you can imagine what that's like. That, that has to be an amazing experience to hear that and, and I've been in places where uh, and, and you know there's been times where we've had a lot of people in worship here and when you get a huge huge amount of voices, saying liturgy together, it's an incredibly powerful thing. It just it moves you. you feel it in your in your gut and in your heart and you feel it and uh, it's just a powerful moment uh, you really feel that. Let me check something real quick here. Um, all right, so let's uh, let's let's finish up real quick in the last few minutes. Uh, in Revelation 19, um, we have uh, so everything that happens before this. He, op- he, he opens the scroll, and there there are, uh, then there's some uh, uh, trumpets that sound that. Harbingers of of bad things on the earth and so forth. And so uh, in verse 19, it says, uh, chapter 19, excuse me, after all these things, I heard a loud voice of the great multitude of heaven saying, Alleluia, that same multitude, okay, the same massive, massive crowd of innumerable people of heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord, our God, for for true and righteous are his judgments because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her, the earth with her fornication? He has avenged on her the blood of the servants shed by her. And of course, this references back to Revelation twelve uh, and so forth, the harlot, you know, that you see in, in Revelation that a lot of people have done a lot of things with. But uh, in terms of interpretation, but here's the point I want to make. Okay, Christ dealt with the harlot. Okay. But now, the harlot comes on the scene, but now what happens? Christ, Christ's focus is not the harlot. Christ's focus is on his bride in, in Revelation. And so, the, uh, the bride of Christ, let me see if I can find the reference. Yeah, so in uh, chapter 19, verse 6, you have, and I heard as it were the voice of a, of a great multitude, the sound of many waters and the sound of mighty thunder, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to, to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Now, I I would have to get into a much more broader teaching on Revelation to really get into the aspects of how that contrasts with the great harlot. But in this case, the bride of Christ is the opposite of that. The bride of Christ is arrayed in fine linen. He has made her worthy to be his bride because he has clothed her in that fine linen and arrayed in those things uh, as the righteous act of the saints. And in verse 9, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. So, and then the angel says, No, you don't need to worship me. You need to worship Christ. You know, you're worshiping the wrong, wrong being here. But, so there's a contrast there between the, the harlot and the, and the true bride of Christ, which is the church, which is us. We are the bride of Christ so forth. Any thoughts on that? Connor, you've you've done some stuff on that. You got any ideas? Well we talked about last week was it last week that we talked about the time, times and past times. Time. Yeah. So the bride of Christ comes from heaven. In yeah. Revelation twelve, she was sent up to heaven, you know, right. safe. Right. Well she's she's kept safe for uh, thousand two hundred and sixty days. Mm-hmm. That just has, so happened to be forty two months. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so you have that sort of show up again. Right. Right. This Revelation 19 is the end of that time of tribulation. Yeah. Yeah. So now yeah. If you come back down. The time, time and half time are over now. Yeah. 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 So um, and then in chapter 20, uh, I'll just cover this real fast if I can. The uh, uh, you have basically the judgment in the great white throne. Uh, and so there is God again in verse 11, great white throne in him who is seated on it. And from his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. Uh, and then it says another book was open, which is the book of life and the dead were judged uh, and so forth. Then real quickly in chapter 21, John says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea is no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard the voice of from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. So this is the penultimate moment, the final you know, moment where God has remade the earth. And there is the, the, the city or place of peace, just been the old Jerusalem, 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 Uh, And now it has been made into a new place or city of peace, the new Jerusalem, a new place of peace. So um, and because of that, you know, we are partakers in that. And so he's not really he's not really talking about Jerusalem. If you look on the on the map today and look over there and find the the place, this is a this this is I believe God's going to physically remake remake things. But this is also a spiritual matter too. It is remade by God. It's a physical thing remade by God. And he is, he dwells with his people there. For the first time, God dwells with man. He is not the invisible God uh, away in a heavenly place that can only come to a tabernacle or can only be met with in the Holy of Holies. Uh, And even to us, we can't see God the Father. Because he's invisible to us, we worship him. We we believe he's real. We have Christ, but now for the first time, God will dwell with, with people. You see, and that's that's the promise, the eschatological promise. So. Any final thoughts? On that? Thus concludes my study. Thank y'all.